0: Time. This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You're going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And it is intercepted! Intercepted! the, the ball. Every story. And so we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys. It's going to be so to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 961 580 the game. Felt like an eternity. Finally back, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name is Matt Bagley. On the other side of the interwebs, via Zoom chat, J Hop, Justin Hopkins is with me, and we're gonna talk about the ducks for a while. Obviously, I think that the big story on people's minds, I've had people talk on my radio show about this, text in, call in. I know other shows are dealing with this. I know Scoop Duck has a lot of commenters talking about this. The Ducks' schedule and everybody else in the pac 12s schedule is completely up in the air right now. Um, let's start with kind of the, the the time machine version of this question, J-Hop. When you heard that the Big Ten was canceling non-conference games and setting this domino into effect. How did you feel?
1: Well, you know, uh, you know, personally, I'm just like everybody else that was excited, uh, you know, for the Oregon, Ohio State game. Uh, I just I I have a I had a feeling that that was a game that was really going to be one of the best in college football, not just because we're all following the Ducks. I just think that that is a great early season matchup. You know, in my mind, those are two top five top 10 teams teams that I think we'll see in the top five top 10 at the end of the season regardless of of who won or lost that game uh because you know something that we've talked about before I, you know I always feel like you can lose an early season game and and claw your way back into the mix definitely um, and we we see that every year and Oregon you know nearly did that last year after the early season loss to Auburn um and then of course later uh you know having a trip up but uh I do feel, and I, you know, I know that this, you know, I throw on the green and yellow Homer shades and I I know that that comes out time to time, but I do feel that that was a winnable game for Oregon. I think Oregon matched up really well. I think Joe Moorhead becomes an X factor on offense for Oregon. Um, I think that defense having what would have played North Dakota state that first week and a very good quarterback there would have been prepared for, you know, Ohio State offensively, uh, you know, different caliber team, but I, I think it would have prepared them very well for Ohio State um, in that second game. And I just think from a physicality standpoint, Oregon has transformed themselves into a program that can now match up physically with the Auburns, Ohio State's, Alabamas of the country. Might not quite have that depth yet that maybe an Alabama uh, even Ohio State or Clemson, you know, some of those schools might have. But I think you've got the, the starting 11 talent on both sides of the ball plus a few pieces, you know, to back up those guys to definitely compete because, you know, as we know, you start 11, but you got to have some guys that give those guys a break. Otherwise, fourth quarter, you get worn down right. and, uh, and and it gets away from you. But I think Oregon matched up well with Ohio State. And I know from those that I've talked to inside the Oregon program, felt very – very confident about that game and really felt that a win there you know, really just kind of puts Oregon uh, on a whole different level than what we've seen and really helps them in recruiting as well.
0: Uh, Obviously, your readers won't be surprised by this, but I know from experience you're very plugged in when it comes to uh, the connections you have on the Oregon coaching staff and the Oregon football program as a whole. What do you think the mood is after they learned – they're not going to play Ohio state this year.
1: Oh, I know that, uh, I know that the coaches at Oregon took it very hard. I know that it was something, you know, they had circled, they had highlighted and, and here's the thing, you know, in college football, you know, we all start gearing up, say, uh, you know, in like August, most fans, not the diehards, but most fans start circling up around August to mid August and saying, okay, let's start talking football. It's, you know, it's, it's three, four or five weeks away. I'm getting excited. Well, you got to go back. These guys finished the season, did some winter workouts, and were ready to roll right into spring ball. And the whole, from the onset there of spring ball, which started in March, was, hey, look, guys, defensively, you're going to face the two of the top three quarterbacks in the country, you know, from an NFL standpoint, NFL draft standpoint, in the first two weeks. We got to get you ready. And I know that Oregon started using that back in March to really push those guys and really get them to work, you know, basically dangling the carrot in front of them to work hard. And not that just a Pac-12 season only takes that away, but it definitely changes it. So I know that, you know, anybody who's worked hard for anything, you know, if, you, if you've if you put in, you know, six, nine months on a diet or towards a goal or saving money or whatever the case might be something that most folks can relate to, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what they've been doing for the last, you know, three, six, nine months trying to get ready and gearing up for a very, a very pesky North Dakota state and a very tough Ohio state in the first two weeks. And poof, just like that, it's gone.
0: Right. That's, that's maybe the most relatable analogy. I'll hear from you for quite a while. I had a vacation planned before the COVID panic and I'm, I'm lucky in that I hadn't locked down any hotel reservations or any uh, plane tickets, anything like that, but I knew exactly what I was going to do. Going to go to a Giants game in the Bay Area, going to go see some, uh, some uh, traveling Broadway shows in the Bay Area, get a nice hotel room, spend March with my fiance just kicking back on the Bay, enjoying life. You know, you save up money for a year and poof, it's gone. I hate that feeling.
1: Yeah, because you put in so much work that, uh, you know, like I said, it's not like you went out and mowed the yard and, and you worked for an hour and that was the end result. It's right. something that you obviously worked for for six months, nine months, whatever, and uh, and that's what these coaches were doing. And I know, you know, just from the sources that have relayed to me, and I don't, I don't recall if he's done an interview since, but, you know, I was told that the news hit Mario Cristobal especially hard who – you know, really did not want out of this game. It's not in his nature, you know, to shy away from competition. He right. wanted this game to happen. He wanted to play Ohio state, uh, you know, and conversely, I've heard for quite some time that, I mean, USC's done everything they can to get out of that Alabama game. They, they were, <laughs> you know, and I, and I've heard it and right. I you know if there's a USC fan listening they being, like, Oh, you're just being a, a, you know, you're just being a, a, a duck homer. But uh, I mean, let's face it, Clay Helton, uh, really needs to have a very positive season down at USC, and and that's a game that could very much you know make for a very rocky start to the season for him. And uh, I'm sure that uh, privately uh, Clay Helton was probably fist pumping a little bit when he saw the news he was getting out of that Bama game.
0: You know, I'm a lurker. I I read Scoop Duck a little bit. I comment every now and then if something really catches my eye. So I don't know the answer to this question. Serious question here. You mentioned USC fan listening to this. How many fans of other schools, not Oregon, follow your site?
1: You know, I don't know the answer to that too, because basically, what happens is is I don't, I you know, I don't sit there and track all my new signups every day. I don't sit there and monitor it. I don't. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I probably glance at it once a month, once every other month. And just kind of see, oh, look, numbers are up or down or whatever. And in that time, you have people that, that that may not renew or their trial runs out, and then of course you have new people that sign up. So, you know, given over the course of a month, that could be a hundred people, two hundred people, depending on the time of year if it's busy or not. I'm not. I just don't have the time to go back and look through it. But I think it's fair to say, and I and I know that you know the the, the readers of Scoop Duck know it. We definitely have some Washingtons. Uh, Washington lurkers on the board. <laughs> I know we've got some USC lurkers on the board. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if there's some others. And uh, you know, I've seen people that even mention, you know, that that uh, you know, m- my work tends to resonate nationally. That hey, look, you know, this guy is really plugged into the Oregon market. So you know, there are people that like to stay tuned in to a couple programs. Maybe it's your, you know, maybe it's your closet. Favorite program, or right. you know, you've, you've got a uh, a dad, or you know, a wife that went there or something. But uh, you know, I know there's some of that. But yeah, I mean, Scoop Duck definitely has other uh, team followers on it, and I definitely do not comp them a subscription. I can guarantee you that.
0: Yeah. Um... Back to the topic at hand: uh, No yes. non-conference games for the Big Ten. No non-conference right. games for the Pac-12 either. And I expect other conferences to follow suit. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think other conferences do the same thing here?
1: Well, I guess here's the biggest problem at this at this moment, right now as we speak. You know, uh, the, although the NCA is a governing body of sorts, they don't really have jurisdiction here. So I guess my point to that is there isn't an overseeing body that basically says, hey, look, you know, hey, Big Ten, hey, ACC, hey, SEC, hey, Pac-12. You know, we need to all – because here's the, here's the problem. If, let's say, uh, the Pac-12, for example, starts its season in October trying to, you know, g- space it out a little bit more and they play whatever. They play a, a season that goes into December. They play a 10-game season goes into mid-December. If the other conferences haven't pushed back at all, they're gonna be done two, three, four weeks earlier. And then you have a problem of, you know, are you playing conference championship games? When do the bowl games start? What do you do there? And so you've got this you know, really if 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 these conferences aren't looking at it from the big picture and ultimately, in my mind, you almost have to look at it. In reverse. You've got to go towards the end of the season mm-hmm. and work your way back to the beginning of the season to right. actually probably get a good plan on what you want to do. But if the Pac-12 goes and makes a plan and the Big Ten goes and makes a plan and they're completely different and they're a month off from each other, you've got a huge problem at the end of the season. So um, I, I think that's what it's going to take here. I think all of these conferences really need to come together with their plan and then they need to come to they, they need to get their plan together and then they need to have some way that they meet together and say, how does our plan affect yours? How does it line up with yours? And there needs to be, you know, a, a governing body or representatives from the PAC 12, big 10, whatever, there needs to be representatives. And obviously that makes it difficult, but then, because then what do you do? Like, let's just say a Boise state, for example uh, you know, which is going to come from one of those smaller conferences, but they always tend to make noise during the season, what, what if one of those schools ends up in the t- in the top four in the college football playoff? Mm-hmm. What if they haven't been included? So, you know, ultimately, there's just it's, it seems to me that everybody's focused on what each conference will do. And and while I see that as definitely a hurdle that needs to be met, it almost seems like it's a bandaid on a bullet hole at that point. You know, the Pac-12 goes and figures out what they want to do. And next thing you know, it doesn't line up with any of the other of, co- of the other conferences. Are they going to adjust that later on? Or are they going to move forward in that fashion? Then what does it what does a school like Notre Dame do? What does an independent do? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just man, it's somebody's got to somebody's got to take this thing by the horns and get everybody pointed in the right direction. And of course, this is all under which you and I both say this every time. This is all under the premise that they're going to play college football. We got to assume everybody's looking out for player safety right. first and foremost, which I know they are. And everybody's assuming that, you know, the pandemic or the, or the COVID-19 might take a turn down and we'll see, you know, things improve in that manner. We Those entities all need to operate that that will happen. And if it doesn't, you can obviously of course, go back and say, Hey, look, Numbers have continued to rise. We just need to cancel this thing. You can do that. I just don't think there's any reason to do that in mid-July when you could actually make that decision a month from now and see how the number – because we've seen the numbers change both directions in 30 days pretty substantially. So um, I'd hate to see them you know, basically make a blanket blanket statement and say, hey, we're going to cancel it. We don't like where this is going. Well, sure, maybe right now it doesn't look good, but in two weeks, who knows? We could be, We could see a trend. You know, we we heard news of a vaccine yesterday coming out that's way ahead of everybody else. Give that thing a few weeks to see, you know, where it takes us. Maybe it's a viable option. Maybe it's just somebody trying to get rich quick. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm not so, a virologist. So many variables. I'm not a virologist, yeah. but I, I'm not going to get my hopes up for that until, you know, we, we see something more concrete. But um, absolutely, I, I'm curious, you mentioned this idea, and I like it, that. When these conferences come up with a backup plan, whatever that is, um, they have to think about the end of that schedule rather than the start of that schedule. Are, Are you talking about spring ball and how it might run into the draft, things like that? Well, yes, you have to
1: consider that. You, I, I know that folks have proposed a season in the spring. You can't do it. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll be the one to say it. I know that I think it's. it, it seems like uh, uh, Stuart Mandel and some of these other guys are all aboard having a season in the spring. But I, I don't know that Stuart's a guy that follows recruiting uh, on a year-round basis, probably has an eye on it. You, you can't do it. There, I, I believe that if you go – and play a season in the spring of a full college football season in the spring. Let's forget the fact that it screws up all these other sports, baseball, you know, whatever the case might be. You've got some guys that'll play both ways, maybe do track, maybe do whatever you're completely killing a, a, a key area of recruiting. You're completely killing a stretch of spring football. And in my mind, you risk jeopardizing two seasons for the sake of one. If you go and push this thing into spring, and these guys all play, and let's just say the last game is at the end of June, if the, if the season ends in June, which is probably semi-realistic, season ends in June, what are you going to do? Give these guys two weeks off, three weeks off, and roll them right back into fall camp at the start of August, which everybody gets back into? Right. I just don't see that being a viable option for college athletes. In my mind, and and I don't want to be the, you got to do this or that. In my mind, you got to play this season in some form or fashion here in the fall, a late start. I think you can get away with, you could push it back instead of starting in September. You could push it back into October. And that's, again, we we don't know what the coronavirus numbers will do. So I'm not going to pretend I have the answer there. But assuming we can see this thing kind of level out and plateau and things get under control. You know, here we are, you and I recording this in mid-July. So you've got August and you've got September. You've got two and a half months to see how this thing plays out. That gives you ample time to make decisions along the way based on what's going on. If you start in October, I don't believe that you can finish your season by mid-January, which we normally do. You know that you get the college football, uh, you know, playoffs and championship that normally revolve uh, in in early to mid January. Mm. I don't think you can end there, but you could probably end towards the end of uh, end end a couple weeks back towards the end of January or possibly that first week or two of February. And at that point, yeah, you've kind of ran over into some recruiting time, but I think you can manage that and you still salvage having a spring football year even for those schools that start in early March. I know it gets kind of close, but you could still get away with it. I think you could salvage things if you do that. If you push it any farther back uh, than an early or mid-October start date, I just don't see it being viable. I really yeah. don't. And and again, like you said, you, you asked a great question there, Matt. That's by looking at this thing from the end to the beginning. Everybody's focused on when will we start, when should they start training. Yeah, I could see all that, but you got to look way ahead at this thing or you just create more problems yeah. uh, than you're helping.
0: See, I like that idea. Um I I will just say this really quick. I am of that school of thought that I I don't know if we're ready by October Um, But in that hypothetical, I think you accomplish a couple of things you Have enough time for recruiting like you mentioned and I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about draft prep I'm thinking about you know how these seniors get ready you probably have to move the combine back but I think draft season is too long as it is. So it's not the end of the world if that gets compressed a little bit. Um, And then you factor in just how it fits from a college athletics standpoint. If you can cut this thing off, if you can have the college football playoff and the national championship done by, say, Valentine's Day. Sure. No March Madness. No conflicts with March Madness. And... Like you mentioned college baseball, that's right when college baseball starts. So you can go right from college football to college baseball, no conflicts. I like that.
1: Yeah. And like you said, I think if you can, you hit the nail on the head, really. If you can impact some other areas, maybe by a week or two or even three, I think you can work through this. You know, like you said, you can cut draft draft season down a little bit. You can shave a week off here or there. Um, You could do some things. You can get these guys out and done before March Madness starts. I think you can do a lot of things and still accomplish the greater good. If you take this whole thing and you move it six months down the line and start in just say March, for example, in spring, I I don't see any way you can recover from that. There's no way to shave six months off all of these other variables. And then what do you do in terms of, like you said, these guys that are seniors coming back? They want to go to the NFL draft. Do you give them another year? Let them come back. Just so many questions. You just open this can of worms. I, 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 in my mind, it really comes down to: look, you need to start this thing in October. If you're going to start it, uh, you know, no later than mid-October. And if you're not. You just need to scrap it, and we got to move on, move forward, and and, and adjust the calendar from there because I just don't see any way moving it to the spring makes any viable sense. Now, it would be fun. You know, a bunch of football games in the spring months would be a lot of fun. It would be great weather, and it would be a lot of great travel. I still just don't see all of the other elements, strength and training, draft, uh, eligibility, uh, recruiting, all these other things, uh, and not to mention these guys' academics and all these other things that go along with it. You just adjust so many things, it becomes really just an absolute mess in my mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One more question on all of that. Uh, So Pac-12 comes out last week and says no non-conference games. Oregon State immediately pulls their entire schedule off the website, and I would assume every other school does the same, and the Pac-12 kind of redoes this from scratch. Do you think any particular school might benefit from this new schedule?
1: Uh, I, you know, I started looking at schedules, uh, you know, specifically of Washington, uh, you know, of USC, Oregon, because here's the thing. You know, as Oregon fans, we were highlighting, hey, Oregon's, you know, strength schedule is pretty good. You got North Dakota State out of the gate. You got Ohio State out of the gate. You know, yeah, those are big games. The reality is USC had Notre Dame and Alabama on their schedule. As far as non-conference goes, those are two tough games. Uh, Washington's wasn't quite as tough. They had Michigan on the schedule. I would imagine them going to Ann Arbor would have been, I mean, we've talked about this before. I know your dad's a big Harbaugh fan. I'm not. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that would have been a tough game for Washington, a winnable game because I don't think Michigan's that good, but it would have been a tough game. Ultimately, USC seems to benefit the most in my mind and, in turn, stay with me. This will sound kind of weird. I think USC benefit the most because you don't play USC, or excuse me, you don't play Alabama, you don't play Notre Dame. Clay Helton right now is recruiting pretty well, as good as he's ever recruited at USC. They've got a pretty strong class going, um, and that's based on some buzz of the new coaches he brought in, Dante Williams, new DC, Todd Orlando. He's done some good things there. I felt, and others have felt, that once the, you know, fire Helton chance started really heating back up again because he lost a couple games early in the season. That would have definitely been a huge detriment to them in recruiting at USC. But I say this, if you're an Oregon fan, if you're a duck fan, I know we're only as good as as the, as the weakest link in the pac 12, but having clay Helton there one more year at USC really doesn't hurt Oregon all that much. I think, uh, I think Mario Cristobal benefits from clay Helton being at USC for another year. Uh, not just because of 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 playing the game, but recruiting and all that goes with it. I believe if Oregon can recruit this current t- 2021 class that they're on track and sign and bring them in, mm-hmm. I don't think Mario Cristobal is ever looking back from this point forward. Um, I don't care who USC hires at that point. I think US uh, Oregon is on a trend to really emulate the Pete Carroll years at USC for years to come if they can manage to land the 2021 class, we're, we're kind of expecting them to get them signed, get them on campus. Uh, I, I think Oregon, Oregon is primed to move you know, ahead and really own the Pac-12 for a long time. And ultimately, keeping Clay Helton there for another year really doesn't hurt Oregon at all.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about that class in a minute. But I'm curious, you got me on a train of thought here with Clay Helton, how... It's not a bad thing for him to stay, and it might be a good thing for Oregon. Um, In your time covering the Pac-12, who's the all-time example of of that? A coach that you're rooting for him not to get fired because he makes your opponent worse? I don't know
1: if there's a a a better one uh, than, than Clay Helton at USC. I mean, really, that's – I mean, because here's the deal. As far as Oregon goes, your biggest and your hardest – and I don't want to say as far as a on-field opponent, but your hardest recruiting opponent is USC. I mean, that school still to this day – they haven't been very successful over the last decade – still to this day recruits at a really good level and – they are in the absolute – they are in your best hotbed, you know, your best recruiting hotbed. SoCal's been very good to Oregon, and they've been able to pull some guys out of SoCal that most years just walked right onto the campus at USC and said, I want to be a Trojan. And, you know, Oregon's able to lure those guys up. I I just think from a talent standpoint, we've seen the USC Trojans go from a program that it was – one of the most overall talented rosters in the nation, not just in the Pac-12, in the nation, to where they are now probably around third or fourth just in this conference in terms of overall talent. They're not very deep or talented on defensive line and offensive line. they got a couple defensive linemen, but overall they don't have a lot of depth, and they don't have a lot of guys coming in behind them. They're terrible at offensive line. Uh, Linebacker, they're good but not great where they've always been – pretty elite for the most part Mm -hmm. um you know quarterback you've got Slovis who's a good quarterback you got a couple 21 21 commits but you don't have anybody behind him they've got a lot of serious holes on that roster right now and it's because of the last two to three years of very subpar recruiting it's very much very much like what Mark Helfrich left for Mario Cristobal uh, arriving to Oregon, a lot of huge gaping holes on the roster that Mario Cristobal has since turned over in his two and a half to three years, but it's taken a lot of work and a lot of incredible recruiting to get there. I think whoever comes in behind Clay Helton is going to realize that you can't win with a really good quarterback and three or four good wide receivers on your roster and that's it you've got to have talent elsewhere and that's uh that's where usc's got a lot of problems
0: yeah you mentioned the overhaul let's talk about the ducks we'll start there first it was the d-line mario goes out and gets cave thibodeau and just some freaks out on the edge then it was the wide receivers i feel like this is a loaded wide receiver haul for oregon what's the next position they overhaul
1: well, you know, right now what you've got is, uh, first of all, you, you had a massive group of offensive linemen leave this year. Throck, Morton, Lemieux, Hanson, all these guys are gone. And you've got some guys behind them, although inexperienced, immensely talented. The problem is Panay Sewell, whether he gets to play or not, is gone after this season. Yes. He's gone to, to the NFL. He's a yes. top five pick. He's gone. So that amount of turnover at that one position, really, even though Oregon recruited at well at offensive line in the last two years, you need one more really good class to have the kind of depth that I, mo- I know Mario Cristobal wants. So I think this is an immensely important class at offensive line, which they've handled. I mean, Oregon's got several uh, guys committed. Bram Walden, for example, is a guy I know Oregon's very high on. Uh, Incredible player, top 100 player. You've got Jackson Light coming out of Utah who can play center, a very key position for Oregon. So I think you've done really well there. Right now, in terms of remaining importance, I think it's safety. You've got to continue to recruit incredibly well at safety. Uh, You know, you've got Brady Breeze. You've got Pickett. Uh, you've got Javon Holland, another guy looming as a potential top ten, top fifteen NFL pick. Should he leave early, which I believe he would, um, you know, you've got a, you've got three or four spots opening up there. And even though Oregon has recruited well at the safety position the last two years, they still need one more class to bring in and kind of solidify that group for the next three or four years. Obviously, you have to continue to recruit, but it's important to do that now. So I think safety becomes the main. Uh, the main position now, you've, you needed tight ends. You went and got two four-star tight ends committed early. I think you're golden there. You needed wide receiver, as you mentioned early on. Oregon's done incredibly well there, and really just holding out for Dante Thornton, who would be a cherry on top of the, of the, of the ice cream there, a, a, very, a very nice four-star cherry on top of, of that che- of ice cream there. I think you've answered all the questions. You don't need a lot of linebacker. You've got a couple guys now. You don't need a ton um again i i think it comes down to safety and then you just go after them big fish you go hit those big five stars hard and ultimately not only are you bringing in talent to oregon you're dealing a major death blow to usc and washington along the way
0: if you get a couple of those big fish like you mentioned does that make oregon the number one recruiting class in america
1: I don't think, uh, even in a perfect bubble, let's just say a perfect world, Oregon lands JT Tumalo and Corey Foreman, and we'll say Bryce Foster. Even if Oregon can manage to pull those three guys in, Bryce Fa- Foster's kind of a bubble five-star, really high four-star Uh, the other two are five stars, even then, and you hold on to everybody else, including your your five-star and Troy Franklin, I don't think it's enough to get to number one, but I do think it's enough to get you in that top three, top four conversation, which is obviously easily, easily the best class Oregon's ever signed in program history and something I consider truly elite, something that I really – I didn't agree with the Scott Frost comment that you can't recruit at Oregon. I didn't agree with that but I did believe that recruiting around top 10 keeps you in the conversation is very fair. If you can be somewhere between seven and 12 most years, I think you're going to have enough talent on your roster to compete, but signing a number three or a top five class at Oregon is something I wasn't sure that was quite possible. And I think that it's absolutely, it's not as good as winning a national championship, but it's awfully damn close in my mind. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I I still, and I talk about this on my radio show a lot, being a lifelong Oregonian, being to Eugene countless times, I just can't wrap my head around that town and that school recruiting at that pace that they're on.
1: Yeah. No, it's an incredible job of branding, which started well before Mario Cristobal got here. I mean, I, I think that that's the underlying theme that folks often overlook Oregon, the university of Oregon has branded itself very well. It's a very attractive, attractive school, right. a very attractive logo. Everybody wants the gear, uh, you know, it's kind of got the it factor. It's the, it school. It's kind of, you know, when like my kids, you know, I've got, I've got teenagers, I got a 15 year old and they're all in on this uh, brand Supreme, which is a clothing brand or whatever that sells like $500 t-shirts. <laughs> how in the hell in the F do you sell a $500 t-shirt? Right, well, apparently right. you, you got to do some pretty excellent branding, which they've done. <laughs> and, and I think that that's something that Oregon's done. They've, they've branded themselves very well. Yeah. Uh, again, that, that's something that, that started before Mario Cristobal got here, but that is only, you know, being combined with the efforts of Mario Cristobal on the recruiting trail and his staff, you know, all those things are coming together. Um, it's just, it's a tremendous time to be a duck. And I, and I don't, I just, I I think about, okay, Oregon's potentially on the verge of signing a number three class in the country. Potentially it could happen. And it would be something that I'd probably have to take a moment on and reflect once it's signed, like, oh my gosh, this actually happened. I can't believe it, but then you're going to go and you're going to further the fact that not only that, but let's just say in a year where, Washington has the state of Washington has three, five stars in its home state mm-hmm. and they could potentially only be signing one of them because he's a legacy for that matter. Out of those three, that's a major kick in the teeth to that program to lose two guys in a Mecca Egbuka, who, who will likely go to Ohio state right. and potentially if Oregon could land JT Tuamalo, that would be a huge, just kick in the jaw to them. And again, you're going to, Couple that with, to get to number three, that means Oregon probably landed Corey Foreman, the number one defensive player out of the state of California for a third straight year, right out from under USC's nose. You've dealt two major knockout blows to your top opponents in terms of recruiting, in terms of of, of your on-field uh, competition, and on your way to a number three class it's truly amazing, and uh, I, I just I, I never thought that something like that would happen. But if it does, you really gotta take it take it all in. and it's almost one of those where I'm gonna open the really expensive bottle of whiskey for this one and and, and sip it down and enjoy it because it's, it's truly remarkable.
0: What's your expensive whiskey of choice?
1: Uh, you know, I've got uh you know, I've got some Blanton's and I've got some others. I've got a Japanese whiskey up there uh, that I really like. Um, I'm, I'm all over the map. Obviously there's whistle pig. There's some others that I've had. I've had, a what was it? The whistle pig 18, I believe 18 year. I, I think that's one of the better ones I've had. It's a couple hundred dollars a bottle. Um, you know, I've got some fine tequilas upstairs, only a couple, yeah. but there's, there's, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, nothing like opening one of those. And even if you only get a couple, you know, two, three ounces out of it, it's still, uh, you know, it's still a worthwhile sip. That's for sure.
0: See, I've, I've always been more of a beer snob, um, but recently my fiancé and I have tried to kind of venture into the higher end on hard alcohol, and I'll say this about expensive tequila, like you were talking about. There's the perception of it, uh, of just like tequila, what you think it tastes like and, and what most of it tastes like if you go to a bar and you order some. And then there's that high end stuff, and it's like a whole different world.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's apples and oranges. I mean, yeah. yeah, you go and get the you know the well tequila out of your your local, you know, saloon or whatever. And it's like okay, this stuff's pretty rough, a little hot. But you go and get <laughs> you go and get one that's smoothed over, right? You know that they've spent some time on, and yeah, maybe it's a hundred bucks or hundred fifty bucks a bottle. I couldn't believe and it. it. It's an absolute game changer. I mean, it's something where you taste it and you go, my goodness, that is. Delicious, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's the one that you can't. Well, I mean, neither of us can sit there and afford to drink it every night, but it's a very nice treat to have every once in a while, and and just experience it. Yeah. Um, and that that was one of my first, you know, things like going down to Mexico was, you know, we we opened up uh, an expensive bottle of tequila down there. That goes 150 bucks down there, and uh, just to kind of taste that and enjoy that, it you know, it kind of opened up my world at least to tequila. I was already kind of uh, dabbling into the whiskey the finer whiskeys at that point but to, to kind of get into the tequilas too it's uh you know and i i started looking up and they have like uh if you go down they have uh like trains and stuff that you can take into the tequila plants uh-huh. and it's and they're tequila trains so you hop on them and they're doing sampling and stuff on the trains when i say train i'm talking like posh trains i mean And so uh, anyways, I've been looking at maybe making a Mexico trip down there because I think it'd be really fun to go to like a Don Julio, uh, you know, or something like that and check out their plantation um, and have one of these trains you in because they all have like uh, resorts and stuff on them Mm -hmm. that you can stay at and, you know, food and all this stuff infused with their tequila. uh, That sounds like a pretty fun adult trip in my mind.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it sounds fun to me, too. Uh, I've got one last football question for you this week, and then we might chew on some other topics. But uh, if all of the conferences scrap their schedules, you mentioned Notre Dame as a wild card in this, and I've been thinking about that for a couple of days. Does this lead to another realignment?
1: Well, I certainly believe that it opens the door, but I'd like to believe that those that are in charge of these types of decision are, are wise enough to realize not to put too much on their plate at one time. So while I think it potentially could open the door to realignment, I, I do, I have thought about this privately is I wonder, you know, you, you hear the expression, you know, you open Pandora's box and what are you going to find? Well, I feel like if we toy with the, 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 uh, the schedules, too much here you're kind of opening pandora's box into how everyone might decide to change college football moving forward and that's something i don't like so for instance i have not been very wild about the idea of paying college football players for their likeness i don't like it because i don't like the Pandora's box that will open along with it. You know, how much is too much? How do you govern it? How, you know, do the schools like Alabama, do the rich just get richer? All these questions I have in my own head. Now at the end of the day, if you could come up with a, with a foolproof plan that, you know, pays college football players equally and, and doesn't change the spirit of the game, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I just don't know any way that that's going to happen. I, I hate when money starts to become involved and, and I wonder, you know, everybody was so reluctant. And I guess that's another element to it is everybody was so re- reluctant to start the college football playoff. Cause you know, at least in terms of the NCAA, we we're going to lose too much money over the bowl games. Well, no, you don't, you haven't lost any money. You got, you know, three better games to play mm-hmm. uh, during, during the end of the season that everybody's watching and you can brand them however in the hell you want and still make that money. Um, but At that point, you know, you've expanded it to a 14 playoff. What happens if you expand it to eight? What happens if you expand it to 10? Are you opening Pandora's box once again? So I don't mind minor tweaks and changes to the game of college football because you have to do that to stay current. I just hate when things change too much too quickly and uh, you really lose the value of the game. And I I do, not because I write about it, not because I live it daily. I do genuinely believe that college football is the greatest game on the planet it is my favorite. I love watching it way more than the NFL. I love watching it more than anything because it's a week by week playoff. You know, you lose once and you can still survive. You lose twice and you're out. And it's just the intensity of the games, the spirit of the games. I love college football and I just really it really scares me to think of them changing the game too much and getting away from what I love about this sport.
0: All right. So so sounds like in your view the Pac-12 doesn't need realignment. I don't
1: think it does. I mean, I, I you, you've got 12. I know at one time they flirted with the 16, trying to bring Texas in, you know, Oklahoma, some of these other schools, which you know I, I probably could have gotten on board with. But but you've got 12. Really, right now, let's just ignore the fact that Larry Scott leads this conference and is incompetent. We'll just forget <laughs> about that. Right. Saving that argument. Right now, if I was if I was in charge of the Pac-12 conference, my full focus right now would 1,000% be how do I make this conference more competitive? How do I bring it more equal to at least the perception of the SEC or the Big Ten? How do I do that and get this conference at the forefront of those discussions? Because it has the trickle-down effect that, A, I need – all of my teams, number one through 12, to be more competitive. I need them to be better. And secondly, that brings more revenue in for these programs to get better and improve recruiting budgets and all these things that go along with it that make them more competitive. My full goal would be focused on making the 12 schools I have in this conference better. First, and until I was able to accomplish that and increase the revenue stream, I wouldn't even entertain anything else.
0: Hmm. Okay. All right. That answers pretty much everything I had this week. Uh, any other football topics you want to tackle?
1: You know, I don't think so, man. That's, I know it's been a couple weeks. Um, you know, it's been a couple weeks, but... The discussions, ha- I, and I apologize that we missed them, it's, it's, it's mostly my fault. It's just a little bit of a life inter- intervening with everybody, with right. Matt and myself. But uh, in the last two weeks, the discussions haven't changed. Oregon continues to be on a pace where they're recruiting at an incredible level. Everybody continues to talk about, you know, what will the season look like? What will, you know, how will the, uh, the pandemic change things? What are we going to do? So ultimately, this just gave you and I a little bit of a break and a chance to kind of circle back on these things, because I just don't think the discussions have changed over the last two weeks. They've just continued. So hopefully, hopefully in the next two weeks, which I do believe we'll get some you know new, new uh, uh, material to discuss. Maybe there will be some some movement on. You know, the season and what it'll look like maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll see schools break into fall camp or at least the start of fall camp or or pre-fall camp or whatever they want to call it. Because ultimately, I think you've got to give these kids as much time as possible, six, seven, eight weeks to get them in training, even if it's without pads, whatever conditioning, you know, even if it's three days a week, even if you have to do it in, let's just say, offense and defense and, and, and keep the groups. You know, break them in half, whatever the case might be, I think you've got to do that and start getting these kids in for six, seven weeks at least, getting them out there, running around, moving, getting their, th- themselves strong and ready for a season, assuming we're going to play it. So I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks we see movement towards that direction.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you in this way that I think that the stories might have changed, but the headlines haven't, meaning we right. still have a bunch of question marks about COVID, and that was as true three months ago as it is now. Um, and 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 then there are the positive headlines, right? Uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, we could have talked about the Elite 11 and what that meant for Oregon. Uh, right. Now the headlines are, well, Oregon's still really good at this recruiting thing, right? They're, they're getting <laughs> some of the best guys in America. Um, the stories might have changed, but the headlines are still the same, so... Yeah. It was just a stretch where I know you had the uh, the landscaping work a couple weeks back, and um, and then last week I was back in Medford, and it's kind of funny. I've got all my gear up here in Portland to record the podcast, and I didn't have anything back in the old studio in Medford, so we were just kind of in a bind. Uh, funny how that works, you know. But, uh, right. yeah. but able to, to not skip a beat and uh, still bring you the podcast, you had an idea i think it was a month ago you approached me with this and it's the first time we've got to this but you know i love when you go off topic on scoop duck and you ask people hey you know what are you eating uh, or what are you drinking what are you what are you thinking about the world right now and you thought it would be a good idea and i agree to put a question like that in the podcast so this week I grabbed a question that you put on the site earlier. What are you watching or streaming right now? Yeah,
1: I, I hit a rut. You know, I asked that question on, on Scoop really kind of for my own information because I've got Netflix and Disney plus and, 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 so because I have Disney plus I have Hulu. Right. Uh, and then of course I have an Amazon prime membership. So you get an Amazon prime and I, you know, I sat here and burned through everything and, uh, and I was like, okay, gosh, I I just I was just struggling to find something to watch. So the two best things that I've watched – well, okay, there there are two good things that I've watched. The funniest thing I've watched was uh, on Hulu, and they had started uh, Cannonball, I guess. They only put one episode on there, or they only keep them on so long. I haven't really uh, been able to, to follow it yet. But it's a show with uh, Mike the Miz, the, the – I'm not a WWE guy, but that's who's on it. Um, and he's one of the commentators, but it's basically, it's kind of like Wipeout. It's all these water sports, everybody like jumping off these things and sliding off these things. And, and, uh, it's really funny. It's actually hilarious. So I I started watching that and that was like the best single show, uh, that I watched. Um, the other one that I watched, which really, really, really surprised me on Netflix was, was down to earth. And it actually, uh, was with Zac Efron and hits him you know kind of going around to uh several countries and, and kind of looking at some of the uh, crises that they're going through you know uh, pollution or clean water or whatever the case might be and showing you some of the the current solutions that he's found and all, and all these other like healthy living um kind of styles it, it was actually a really good show it's kind of I mean, I'm used to, I, the last thing I watched was Zach Erfman, I think was when he was in the Baywatch remake with the rock. <laughs> and so I'm watching him and I'm like, you know, this guy has been a goofball and he's, but he's actually really, really sharp and right. he's really into this kind of stuff. So it was pretty good. Uh, but since I posted that, I actually started this, the series upload on Amazon. And I think I started it two days ago and I think I'm three or four episodes in and it's actually pleasantly surprising. So I, I, I guess that's my recommendation for the week is is uh, upload from Amazon, and I know it's been out there for a little bit, and I don't know why I didn't watch it, but it's actually uh, it's actually really funny.
0: Hmm. I'll have to check What, out you those. Got, I'll, what I'll, are you on? You know, it's it's funny you ask. So I don't watch that much TV, but I will write those down. Uh, for me, the the two things that my fiance and I have gotten into. Um, We've got Disney Plus, so obviously the first night it came out, July 3rd, we watched Hamilton. Um, we're, we're, we're theater geeks, so that was a home run for us. If you're into musical theater, you got to watch it. If you're not into musical theater, you should still watch it. It's really cool. Um, the other thing that we do, and this is just us, we don't watch a lot of TV, but we'll want to watch something like Wild Dinner. Or watch something before we go to bed. Um, Netflix just put out a bunch of fresh Jeopardy episodes, and I'm, oh, yeah. I'm that guy. Like I, I could watch a hundred Jeopardies in a row, and I am that guy that has to annoyingly answer every question. So I love just sitting back watching Jeopardy.
1: That's funny. Yeah, no, that's uh that's pretty funny, really. No, Jeopardy's a good one. Yeah, there's, and I, I find it's funny. I still have my DirecTV. I pay for it, and I don't know why. I never even turn it on. It's, it's just like, you know, especially with no sports right now, that was pretty much what I watched it for. So, yeah, I guess I might be getting the cable here sooner before
0: yeah. I know it. Yeah. Well, I, I say watch TV. I, I don't have cable or satellite. It's all just, you know, Internet streaming stuff, uh, smart TV kind of stuff. Um, just because, I mean, that's the biggest ripoff in America.
1: Right. It is. Yeah, it is. Well, hopefully that enlightens a few people, at least for the folks that are in quarantine as well. Maybe there's a couple
0: of show ideas on there for them. Right. No no offense if I had anybody, you know, works for like Charter Cable or Direct TV or nothing. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I probably get it from my dad. I just, I've heard my, when I was a kid, my dad was an all-time great complainer. I, I don't know if you do this, but he's one of those people that, Every year, he would call the cable company and yell at them, and at the end of the conversation, they'd throw in a couple channels. Oh, yeah, you know, and so he would do the same song and dance every year call, yell, complain, get a couple of channels, and then eventually they stopped doing that, and it was just so much of a pain in the neck. You're, you're paying a hundred dollars a month for a billion channels you don't need. Um, I think it was two years ago I convinced my dad to cut the cord. So we share a, a sling package, and it's like night and day. He's so much happier. So I that's that's why I speak so negatively on that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, I get it. No, and, and everybody – you know, a lot of people are cutting the cord. I mean, it's definitely – it's definitely—I uh, don't want to call it a trend, but it's definitely the movement for yeah. a lot of folks, and and I can see why. I find myself watching less and less uh, DirecTV and and way more, uh, you know, internet-based TV. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I feel pretty good about this week. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that uh, I think that covers it. Cool. All right. Well, I say this every time we do a pod. I'm going to say it again. If you like this pod, leave us a comment on Scoopduck.com or on Twitter at jhopkinssd at Bagley Sports. Let us know what you think. Let us know how you feel. Let us know how we can improve because we feel really good about this. But we always think we can get better. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts. Uh, you can listen to us. I believe on most of the major podcast apps. Just search Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, and you can find us and listen to us soon. We usually tape on Thursdays, bring it out to you on Thursday, and we talk about the ducks every week. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening. Go, ducks.
1: I can do this now.